Welcome to the May 15th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 5. And the sermon is entitled, Church, Stay Faithful, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. We are moving through this book. This is a verse-by-verse study through 1 and 2 Thessalonians in your New Testament. Go on toward the end of your Bible. You'll find it there. Relatively speaking, these are short books of the Bible, and yet they pack a tremendous punch of truth uh, in the good news of Jesus Christ and in directing ministry to the church, and we are to go out into the world. As we look at these words, we know that Paul was addressing a church that was not always accepted in its culture in Thessalonica. We are in that same position in the United States of America. And so today we know that these words are current. These words speak to us, and I have been so thankful for this challenging study. And believe me, it is a very timely study as we look at days of transition for Clifford Baptist Church. We are to move forward without any stumbling whatsoever. Amen? We're to keep active in the gospel. We're to keep reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And so these words are impressive to me as I pass them on to the church today. Paul is sending these two letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, to a brand new church that he and his mission team had established in the large, lost, idolatrous European city of Thessalonica. And Paul would have loved to have stayed there with his mission team and pastored this church and directed it. The brand new Christians, brand new to the kingdom of God in accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul would have loved to have stayed and pastored them. And yet Paul's mission team came under persecution as they were trying to live in the city of Thessalonica. And ultimately they were run out of the city. The city did not want a Jesus movement. So they ran Paul and the mission team out of Thessalonica, leaving behind a young church with brand new Christians in it from all the cultures over Thessalonica. It was an interesting situation. So Paul then, not being able to stay in the city, sends these two letters, taking his physical place that he continues to build and to teach the church as to who they are to be in their ministry setting. He's sending the basics of the faith through these two letters to the church at Thessalonica. And even though these brand new Christians were facing persecution and possible death, they pushed on in taking the gospel of the living Lord to the city. They resisted the roadblocks of Satan, and they continued pressing forward, taking the gospel to the lost where it was needed so desperately. So as we pick up the study today, as we've now well into 2 Thessalonians, Paul is continuing to direct the church to move forward in their calling, not to move backward, not to compromise, but rather to always be stepping forward, following in the footsteps of Jesus for that church. So as we pick up today, we're going to go uh, closing out chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to advance into chapter 3, so keep your Bible open for the uh, entirety of the sermon. But let's start today, 2 Thessalonians, look at chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Hear these words as Paul is writing these letters of encouragement to this very young church. He says this, verse 13, chapter 2, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, 
whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. For now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Keep your Bible open. God bless these words of direction from Paul to a very young church. I want you to notice here that it says that God has chosen to save people. Look again at verse 13, the very first verse I read. Chapter 2, verse 13. But we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now listen, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God chose from the beginning, from the moment and even prior to God saying, let there be light, God had chosen to forgive us. God had chosen to give us eternal life and salvation through the pathway of His very Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here, God, it says, God has chosen to save people. You know, we often say, and it's truthful, we often say, this boy, this girl, this man, or this woman has chosen to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is true. But before they could ever have made that choice, Jesus Christ chose to save them. It was his prior decision before they could come to a decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're chosen for salvation through the cross of our living Lord, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. The theological term here is election. God has elected to save his lost humanity through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. God has elected that every person on earth, no matter the nation, no matter the color, no matter their financial background or their background of sin, God has elected that every person be given the good news of Jesus Christ and that every person be given the opportunity to come to Jesus as Savior. That's election. God has elected to save us all to give us the invitation. Now, God has not elected to save us simply by saving us, but rather giving the invitation that that person can make a decision for Jesus. But God's election is that all of us should have the invitation to salvation. When any person is saved, two things come together. Two things play together. First of all, when any person is saved, God does his part. God fulfills the promise that he made to us before creation. He has chosen to save us. And he promises that whoever invites him in, his spirit will move into that heart and live in that life and give that person salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. God does his part when someone is saved. Secondly, the second thing that comes into play is the person who wants to be saved has to do his or her part. Basically, that person comes to Jesus Christ saying, Lord, I come to you literally believing that you lived a perfect life as the Lamb of God and you literally went to the cross and you shed your blood and you died for me on that cross. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe you gave yourself to forgive me. I believe it. I have faith in you that you did that for me. And not only do I have faith, but I totally, 100% surrender to you. All of my life belongs to you. All of my material possessions belong to you. 
All of my family belongs to you. All of my witness belongs to you. I cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church or one foot in the world and one foot in ministry. Everything I have now belongs to you in total surrender. God does his part, we do our part, and that's salvation. Amen? We do our part in total surrender as God moves into our hearts. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, it says the gospel fills us with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, the gospel of God is the truth we believe. The glory of God is the spirit we receive. Write that down. Those two statements are very important. The gospel of God is the truth we believe. The glory of God is the spirit we receive as he moves into our hearts. When a great variety of people were saved in Thessalonica, Paul pulled them together, and he planted a church there. But I want to remind you the kind of people that he planted into a church. He planted people of Jewish background. He planted people of Gentile background. He planted people who were rich people. He planted people who were poor people. He planted people of different colors, different cultures. He took them all in salvation in Jesus Christ from all of their walks of life and all of their differences, and he said, now you're one church. In the midst of all of your differences, you're one people of God because one spirit lives in you. The spirit of God is what unites you together and brings you together and overcomes all of your differences and all of your barriers and all of the things that stood between you in the past. Now you're brothers and sisters because the spirit of God lives in you. So you are joined as one church. There's not a church of this color and a church of that color and a church of this culture and that culture or this nationality and that nationality, or this is a rich people's church and a poor people's church. Nor is it a church that says, we like this kind of music and we like that kind of music. No such thing. We're one church because one Spirit of God lives in us. So what Paul played out in his day in Thessalonica is exactly what is to happen here, that all of us come together under the grace of God through Jesus as Lord and Savior. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Paul says, brothers and sisters, as the church then, united together, carrying forth one ministry, one love of Jesus Christ in the world, with all of your differences, you're one people. So that means, he says, stand fast, hold firm, keep moving in ministry, even in your hard city, church. Keep moving out with the gospel of the living Lord. Withstand the criticism, withstand the punishment when it comes, and be the church. Don't hide the church. Be the church in your city. I want you to also notice what Scripture says in verse 15. He says, hold the traditions which we taught you while our mission team was with you and also the traditions that I'm teaching you as I send you this letter. Traditions, that's an interesting word as he places it here. When in our English language we hear that word, we think of a definition of the word traditions. Uh, in the New International Version, I know that the, the word is teaching used in this particular spot. Most versions use the word traditions. But he says, hold the traditions. Hold on to the traditions. What does that mean? This church is so young, they didn't have time to set traditions as we understand what traditions are. But the Greek word is paradosis. And it means to stay firmly attached to the truth that you're learning. Do not step aside from the truth that you're learning. Whether it came from the mission team or these letters to the Thessalonians, hold fast to the truth that you're hearing. Don't change it. Don't water it. Don't step aside from it. Hold fast to all the truth that you are hearing. 
so church, here's what it says to us. As we teach the truths of the Bible, and as we teach the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ to our children, to our youth, we cannot change it. We cannot water it down. We can't sweeten it up in spots that we think are too hard. We're to teach the entire truth of God's Word to the generation that is behind us, those who are coming up with us. We can't change the truth. You see, the church, the, the Scripture tells us why we have to be faithful in teaching the whole truth of the Bible, especially to our next generation. We're building the foundation under those young people upon which they will stand when they lead the church one day. So that means if we water down the gospel or we change the truth in any way, in essence what we're doing is weakening the future church. We have to be very careful and, and very much wary and looking forward to the future of the church that we teach the entire truth of the Word of God, including heaven, including hell. We teach the entire truth of the Word of God. We don't want to weaken the church of tomorrow. If anything, we want to strengthen the stand of our young people for tomorrow. Let me give you an example from my recent life. I was ministering to a family in grief, a family who had lost a family member. A funeral was coming. As I talked to this family, they wanted a country song played in the funeral service. The song came out in 2020. I'd never heard it before. I never had seen the title before. But it had come out a couple years ahead of time. So I dial it up and I see what it's all about. I listen to it. The, the title is, Give Heaven Some Hell. Now, immediately when I saw the title, I hated it. Because I knew it was not, you know, not going to be filled with any truth whatsoever. Give Heaven Some Hell. Who ever heard of such a silly, stupid thing? Here's what the song said. This, some of you have probably heard it. I had not heard it until this point, but the song portrays a raucous, rowdy gathering of good old boys at a mud bog. And they're slinging mud all over heaven, just, just having a time raising cane, racing around. And in the midst of the song, it says, we hide our beer and our liquor shots from the man upstairs when he walks by. The message of the song is this. Let's raise a little hell in heaven when God isn't looking. I want you to listen. The public eats that stuff up. The public loves that kind of message and somehow will even adapt it to their belief in what's going to happen in heaven. It is the furthest thing from the truth. It's a lie. And you know who the father of lies is? It is Satan himself who truly did stand in the background of that song, giving heaven some hell. Whoever heard of such a thing? public loves it, but it's a lie. It's also a lie in country songs when you hear that that person died and, and got his angel wings. That's a lie too. Angels have angels' wings. People are people. You're never going to be an angel. If you think you'll become an angel, go back to your theology. No, you will not. You're a person. You will always be a person. You'll always, always be God's creation. He will always love you as a person, not as an angel. But the public loves to eat up those lies. To be fed on those things, and they're entertained by it, and even adapted into their own theological belief system. We have to be strong on the truth, church, because we're living in a land that loves lies. And if anybody's going to teach the truth, it's us. And we have to be strong on the truth. 
or the lies of the world are going to take over the truth of God. That's the truth. The lies of the world will be given the open way to take over the truth of God if we're not strong, if we don't teach our children and youth well. We have to do it looking down our future and keeping the church strong. So we hold the traditions, the teachings of the Bible with a firm hand, with no compromise, teaching the full truth of God, and the church will then be good for tomorrow on a strong foundation for our future. Verse 16, Paul says, When we stay on course, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father will give us comfort for today, and he will also give us hope for tomorrow. Friends, when we teach our children and our youth well, that's our hope for tomorrow, that the church will be in good hands and go forward and stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel that brings lost people to salvation. Paul says, as the church moves on, even when it's hard, God will comfort us in the trials, and he will give us hope and grace as we carry forward the ministry of Jesus to the world. Look at verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So here's what God wants every church to have. The comfort of his presence and ongoing ministry in the world. May I say this to you, as far as this verse goes, when it says God will comfort us as we minister in the world, a church of no ministry is also a church of no comfort. A church that does not carry forth the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world does not have the comfort that every church should have under the hand of God. We're to be faithful to God, and then he will be faithful to us in comforting us. That's the glue that holds the church together, faithful to God, his faithfulness to us, and he will give us his comfort and his direction as we move for him in days ahead. So as you can see, this is a great letter of encouragement for a church that existed 2,000 years ago but it speaks to us today. It speaks to us to stay strong as a church and strong in ministry and courageous in our going out into the world and strong in the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's take one more step through the study. Go over to chapter 3. We're going to look at five verses of chapter 3. Let's start with the first two. Chapter 3. Finally, brethren, Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Keep your Bible open. Verses 1 and 2, Paul boldly asks this little church in Thessalonica to pray for his team. Pray for his team the ministry team that is traveling, preaching the gospel in different cities of Europe, pray for us, he says, that we'll stay strong and stand strong in that. Really makes two requests as they pray. Here's the first request. The first request is pray for our mission team that as we preach the gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ, that that word of invitation will have a free course to the hearts of the lost. Pray Paul says that as we preach the gospel, there will be a free course, an open roadway to every heart of the lost who needs to hear the invitation to Jesus. Pray for us to have a free course. Paul says our desire is that our message not hit a roadblock, but rather that it is given freedom to go to every heart that hears the invitation to Christ. Doesn't that speak to us today? 
Think about what's happening here as these cameras surrounding us roll today and as the message of Jesus Christ goes from this sanctuary and it's intended for this sanctuary and it's intended for our Jerusalem right here in this community but it also is intended to go out into the world now through media connection so we truly need to pray that God will give this message of invitation a free course to every heart in the world that hears the invitation to Jesus today not tomorrow not some unspecified time in the future but rather we need to pray as a church today that the invitation to Jesus has free course to this congregation and to the world and to every listener hearing us we pray for that today amen when we go to prayer today you pray for that that we have a free course for the message to go forward a 2,000 year old prayer request could have been made this morning right here it's amazing how God's word is always new always current always speaking to us here's Paul's second request for prayer he asked God for protection of his ministry team when they run into evil men men who would want to take their lives and stop the gospel remember this team as Paul writes this letter this team had been beaten and imprisoned and persecuted and threatened with death and run out of cities So Paul just says, church, pray for our safety. Pray that we live through, that we can continue to minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We need to keep preaching, and we need to keep reaching the lost. Pray for us that God keeps us safe. Well, let's conclude verses 3 through 5. Look at chapter 3. Go to verse 3. Paul says, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So Paul says, remember church, even when things get hard, even when you're challenged, even when you're threatened, You do the gospel work, and the Lord will be faithful to you. The Lord's hands will rest on you. Jesus will never forget where you are. He knows when you're going through trial. He knows when you're going through challenges. The Lord knows your church through and through. You're never alone. And I want you to notice in verse 4, 2 Thess 3, verse 4, Paul says, I am confident that you're doing ministry and witnessing as our mission team commanded you to do. If you see the word commanded in your Bible, underline it. Interesting word. As we commanded you to do. You're carrying out ministry in the word as we, the mission team, commanded you to do. Command here is the word parangelo in Greek. And it means to pass on, to convey God's message. You know, after being a pastor now for 40 years, I can tell you this. I never felt I had the right to command you to do anything. You know, commanders do that in the army. Pastors don't do that in the church. It is not my right, nor is it given to me as an authority, as a pastor, to command you to do anything. In fact, most of the time when people are commanded to do something, they dig in in their heels and say, no, I don't think I will today. It's not my authority to command you to do anything. I can't order you to serve Jesus. That's not my place. But I can tell you this, the Lord has the right to command us. 
the Lord God Almighty, the general of the army, the one who surrendered his life for us, laid down his life that we might be forgiven. He has the right and he has the authority to command us. Not the little messenger guys. He himself has the right to command us. But pastors are charged with the responsibility to pass on God's commandments. They're not our commandments. They're his. And we're given that authority to pass them on. My prayer for Pastor Jeffrey is that you will respect his leadership and that you will hear God's commandments through him and that you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ because God is commanding that to happen here. So we're messengers, and we're to be giving our lives, passing to you the truth of God and the commandments of God, and you're to respect us so much so that you're willing to follow what God is commanding you to do through us. So Paul says, follow the commandments that my mission team have given you because that's truth. And we want you to follow the Lord, and we're sending you out to follow the Lord. Follow our commandments to you because that's the truth of God as we pass it on to you. We're the messengers, but we're representing the commander-in-chief. So follow him by listening to us. Now look at verse 5, last verse of the day. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So he ends his thought here in this particular phase of the letter like this. Church, God will always, always be directing you to love him. That is his commandment, church, that you love him. Wherever you are today, God loves you. And also, wherever you are today, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he desires for you to love him. And he desires for you to follow him and to follow the footsteps of Jesus as he lays them before you because God created us to be in communion with him. He created us not to march to our own drummer, but to march to his march and to his footsteps because we're in communion with him and he's directing us in truth. And part of the way that we love God is to reach out with his love to lost people. Church, you've got to hear that. Reaching the lost is not just the pastor's job. Reaching the lost, giving the good news of Christ is every job here, every job description, believer, that belongs to you. It belongs to all of us. All of us are charged to represent and witness for Jesus Christ well in this week that we're in the world. You're going to places that I won't touch this week. You're going to areas that I've never visited. You're going to see people I've never known. And all of us are called to web out into the world with the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ, and we love him by loving them enough to tell them the truth that Jesus wants to save them, that Jesus wants them to have life. He will open those doors to you. Somehow he will use your talents. Maybe you're not talented to stand behind a, a pulpit to preach. I feel barely talented to do it, but I'm so grateful that he calls me to. But not all of us are but he has talented you in some specific way to share the love of Jesus with another person. Every one of us has that talent as a believer in the Lord Jesus. Use it this week. You have some appointments waiting for you this week to come. And I believe you'll know when you cross the path with that person, this is an appointment God has set for me. Help me be faithful in this place where I'm to share the love of Christ. Paul says here every day, do ministry, church. And he does say, every day, church, you know Jesus is coming for us. 2,000 years ago, he reminded the church at Thessalonica, 
that, that Jesus could come for his church in any moment. You can keep your eye on the sky because Jesus is going to break through and come and rapture and take his church back to heaven with himself. He's tarried for these 2,000 years. He may not tarry another five minutes. I don't know. But I do know this. We can keep our eye to the sky and look for our Lord to come for us, but, but Paul says, never take your hand off the plow of ministry. Always be busy. When Jesus does break through those clouds, make sure you're busy for him. Be the church that he wants you to be. This day, listen, church, this day, and in fact, our entire lifetime is a little slice of time in eternity, isn't it? You know, in James, it says our life is a vapor. Uh, it says that our life is like grass. It's here and it's gone. At this vantage point, I, I see it very quickly moving. Life is a vapor. Our little slice of time to serve Jesus Christ is right now. When we get to heaven, there won't be lost people there. This is our time. This is our opportunity. And what Paul is saying is, church, don't waste a day. Don't waste your life. Serve him well. Give your heart to him well. Surrender to him with all you have. And serve him every day. This day is our little slice of time. Today will never be repeated again. What does Jesus want you to do today? If you really want to boil down Paul's message, here it is in three simple words. Church, stay faithful. Or church, keep working. Or church, keep reaching. The greatest message in all the world is the message of Jesus Christ. And the greatest invitation in all the world is the invitation to come to know him and love him as your Lord and your Savior. That's true in this very sanctuary. It's true on the doorstep. It's true in Virginia. It's true around the world. The greatest news and the greatest invitation is coming to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If today Jesus is not your Savior, if today you don't have a relationship with him, if today you're still living in sin and you're carrying this load of guilt on your shoulders and you feel it and you know it and it's heavy, if today you're living that kind of life, I want you to know that right now Jesus is directing you to love him. Right now, no matter where you are in the world, Jesus is calling you to follow him. He's calling you to come to him as a condemned sinner. He knows your sin. I, most of us, when we look back in a life of sin, we're ashamed of that. But Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows the shame. Jesus knows the guilt. Jesus knows your life. But he wants to forgive you. And he wants you as his son or his daughter. He died on the cross to earn that right to forgive you. He died in your place and my place as the Lamb of God. And we can bring this broken relationship with, to, with God, and we can bring our sin, and we can bring our sorrow, we can bring our guilt, and we should be sorry, and we should be regretful, but we can lay it at his foot of, of the cross and say, Lord God, through your spilled blood, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to adopt me into your kingdom. I ask you to be my father. I open my heart to you to live in me. I want to live with you for all eternity. I want to belong to you forever. I want to surrender to you everything I have.
today, is that an invitation you need to hear? Is that an invitation, whether you're here in this room or somewhere out there listening on a computer or on, on an iPad, if you're somewhere in the world, if you need that invitation, he uses my voice, but this is his invitation. And he wants you to come. So today, I invite you to the Lord Jesus as your Savior to simply come before him and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I am sorry, and I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to save me, and I ask to be your own. Church, will we be faithful? In the coming days ahead, will we remain faithful? Will we remain faithful? teaching and preaching the entire truth of God. Our prayer is that we will be strong today and strong in our future as we stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you for your church. Thank you, Father, for a congregation, including the congregation online, who allow me these moments to speak your truth, Lord. I pray your blessing on your church, Father. I pray that God the Father will give us comfort that you will give us the footsteps that we need to follow, and we will be strong and true and courageous to stand on your truth and your word alone. I pray, Father, for brothers and sisters who rededicate our lives to standing true for you. And as we gather this morning, Father, I pray for my believing brothers and sisters who know Jesus to pray this prayer. Lord, give the message of invitation a free course to those who need to hear it. Let them hear it in its truth and let them hear it as the word of Jesus. Not the word of Mike Fitzgerald. I don't have any authority to give an invitation to be saved. But I can pass along Jesus' word that he is the one who invites that one to be saved through his grace and his blessing and his sacrifice. May one in this sanctuary or somewhere in the world today say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. And I come to you as my Savior, my Lord. Bless that one, Father, who gets before you on their knees and accepts you as Savior. Thank you that you chose to save us. Thank you for that one who responds. We love you, church home, whatever the need. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.